Pelota al espacio, Kiesa que mete el acelerador, ya ganó la posición, sigue Kiesa, le pega con derecha, ¡qué golazo! Hey now! Hey now, everybody. Welcome to season 13, episode 22 of the Sportscasters. It is November 22nd, 2023, exactly 60 years after the assassination of John F. Kennedy in Dallas, Texas. I am your host, Steve Bennett. We got a great podcast for you today. Really excited about this one. First guest is a debut. A guy who had been in my living room for more than a decade every Sunday until DirecTV got out of the Sunday ticket game. And uh, I've missed Andrew Siciliano this year, but he is here today to debut on the Sportscasters. Great time talking to Andrew. Can't wait for you to hear that. And we have a guy returning for his second appearance on the show. His first appearance was way back, episode 46, October 11th, 2011, season one. So, what, 12 years since Nick Bakai has joined us. Nick Bakai was once a cat on a show called Sabrina the Te- Teenage Witch. He also did these gambling segments that were way ahead of their time on SportsCenter. Kind of the the bad beat thing that um, you see with Scott Van Pelt now. He did these way before um, you would. It was it was acceptable really to do these things, and he did them on Sports Center until the NFL basically told uh, ESPN that if you want our games and your our highlights, you got to get rid of that. Um, he's also a producer in Hollywood, and he's producing a new show that debuts on November 30th on Max called Bookie. And uh, I was able to preview the first episode of Bookie. It stars Sebastian Maniscalco, a paisan of mine. Um, And it's fantastic. And Nick is going to join us to talk about that. Also, we'll update the book club, see where we're at on that. And we will have one last thing to close out the episode. All right, first things first. Italy has qualified for the Euros. Okay, thank thank God Italy has qualified for the Euros. Uh, the defending champions will be in Germany uh, this year. Uh, two games got us there. We needed three points. We got three points. Or four points, excuse me. Needed four, got four. First game was North Macedonia, who, of course, famously eliminated us from the World Cup playoffs a couple years ago and then tied us kind of in the first round, uh, the first game of of the qualification process between the two teams. It was Coach Spalletti's first game, and it was played on a pitch that was tactically a landmine. Uh, But they had to come to Italy's stadium 
Olympia was packed, and we won 5-2. to two. few things notable about this game. First of all, Jorginho took another penalty and missed. Jorginho has missed his last four penalties for Italy. I think he's made like 16 in a row in Europe. He's over 84% on penalties in Europe. He's 50% for the Italian national team. He's lost missed four in a row now, four of eight all time, and he's got to be done taking penalties. I'm glad he's back on the squad. Uh, as a regista, I think he's one of our best. I think the team is good when he plays. He plays his heart out. I'll give him credit when the penalty was called. He went right to the ball. He seemed excited for the opportunity, but he just he can't score. It's got to be a mental block at this point. So, Jorginho Penn was a miss, and Federico Chiesa, I mean, dominated this match. Two goals. It's his first match in the whole qualifying process because of injuries and other missed windows. And he is the best Italian footballer in the world. It's, it's not even close. When he's on the team, they can beat anyone in the world, anyone in the world. And when he's not, they're not close to the same quality. And, and we've seen that this weekend. His heart that he plays with, his dedication to the shirt, he plays the whole, whole, whole field. Two goals in this game. Unbelievable performance. Uh, I think Donnarumma... Uh, proved himself as the number one still. Um, the captain wore the band both games. And in the Ukraine game, made the saves when we needed them, including a spectacular save on Modric, their guy, in the first half to keep it nil-nil. Since I went there, we go to Ukraine. The second game, Ukraine can't host, so we're in Germany. We just need a point. And we dominated the game. I mean, dominated the game. We could not finish. The finish in the final third was bad. The last touch was bad. Uh, Chiesa missed one in tight. Raspadori missed several chances. But again, Chiesa was a menace. He pushed the game. Uh, Ukraine, in the end, had one chance to score. They didn't. I think their expected goals in the game was like .3. Uh, but we couldn't finish, and it made the last 15 minutes of this game, I mean, unwatchable. I, it was there was nothing about the last fifteen minutes that was fun, and then in the last, I think the ninety third minute, it went ninety seven or ninety six, and in the in the ninety third minute, Cristante got his foot out in the box and tripped Modric, who probably in in a way was searching for a penalty there. I thought on first watch it was a penalty. I thought on second watch it was a penalty. Basically thought it was a penalty. I think Ukraine has a huge beef there. Um, but sometimes you get a call. You know, I, I think it's one of those. And like people, why didn't VAR call down? I think if they would have called it a penalty, VAR would have kept it. And I think since they didn't, they kept it. I think it's just one of those. It was close. They went with the ref's call. Um, I don't think a scoring chance was taken away. You know, his first touch was really poor. The ball was gone. But we got lucky, lucky. And sometimes sometimes you need a call. There was plenty of moments in not qualifying for the World Cup 
that Italy got very unlucky. You know, so to get lucky here and qualify for the Euros just shows sometimes you need a, a little bit of luck. But that's it for Italy in 2023. Uh, now Spalletti's real work can begin, right? He, he's he, he comes in in the middle of qualification, and the mandate is we have to qualify for the Euros. And I think everything he's done since he's been coach is to qualify for the Euros. And now that we've done that, he can focus on what the team is going to look like going forward. What is Italy going to be um, under him going forward? And they'll have friendlies in March. Uh, they'll have a couple friendlies before the Euros, and then it will be the Euros. They start June 16th in Germany. Uh, the draw has been a big thing. The pods, um, they're in pod four. Uh, but look, it we were in pod one for the qualification draw, and we got England in our group. So if they're going to do draws, and for whatever reason, soccer loves draws, there's going to be wonky groups, and there's a good chance Italy will be in the wonky group, whether we're in pod one, two, three, or four. And I think there's just as good of a chance that they get a sweetheart of a, a group. But the reality is the Euro starts at the round of 16. The best two in each group qualify. Four third-place teams qualify. Um, so I think being in the tournament is the big thing, and we've done that. We'll worry about the draw in the first week of December when it comes. All right, two more things quickly. First, Michael Thomas is hurt again. He's on IR. I know you can't see, but this is my shocked face. So, okay. Bye, Michael Thomas. That could be the end of his career as a saint. Um, and the Sabres, they still stink, if you're wondering. Still stink. Lineup's awful. They are the enemy of joy, as I texted my brother uh, earlier in the week. All right. Great stuff ahead. Nick Bakai later. Andrew Siciliano next. Let's take a break. We'll be right back for the big debut. All right, our first guest today grew up in Virginia and is a graduate of Syracuse University. He spent the last decade plus with DirecTV calling the Sunday ticket every Sunday in my house. I've missed him this year, but he's here today to make his debut on the Sportscasters. A warm welcome to Andrew Siciliano. Hey, Andrew, what's up, man? How you doing today? Steve, uh, good. How are you? I'm just sitting here in L.A. watching uh, the Barry Sanders documentary that's dropping next week. So. Oh, I, I was looking forward to that. Cold November rain here in Buffalo. <laughs> but Nothing lasts forever, what else, though. What <laughs> else is new? I, I, yeah. I went to school uh, a couple hours away in Syracuse. As so did I. That, yeah. That's pretty much par for the course. You, you, uh, you're, you're, you're happy it's not snow. Yeah, yeah. Yep, and I have no candles to move today. You know, I don't have to worry about holding candles in the cold November rain. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm good. Well done. Uh, yeah, I was a Syracuse guy as well. I didn't make it all four years because I got sick there. And then my mom said, you have to come home. You know, it was, it was a different time then where, like, to call my mom, I had to, like, get a calling card. You remember. You know, it was, like, yep. long distance to call home. It was, like, 
I feel I, me and my mom were talking about like this. Like, I bet if this happened in 2023, I would have been fine to stay. I mean, we. You know. So I, I was there mid '90s. We. I am not ashamed to admit we we made a couple of long distance calls on the um, WAER <laughs> student radio station yeah. um, long distance code back home. I, I will freely admit it. And if if, if SU wants my five bucks <laughs> to call home, You're I'm, I'm come happy back to for put it. an envelope right now. Yes, <laughs> like the librarian in Seinfeld, come mm-hmm. looking for you. Uh, did you used to do this thing with the with the collect call? Try to game the system. Like I would call her and I collect, and I'd be like. The, the call is from, Mom, I'm back in my, my room. I'm good for the night. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. And then she would just not accept the charges. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I would not do that one. I, I, I did not try that one. Maybe maybe in retrospect, I should have. Uh, I would have had a few more bucks uh, to go down to, to Chuck's or Archie's. Right. You, know? you went to Syracuse thinking journalism. I did. Yeah. Um, I went to Syracuse originally as a print major. Um, I, yeah, the idea of me talking... Um, on television or radio, that was never anything I really thought was realistic. Maybe radio. Um, I, I was going to be a print major is between Syracuse and Ohio University in Athens. And um, you have a lot of family in Ohio, nowhere near Athens. They're all Northeast Ohio, not like Southeast Cleveland, Ohio. Right? But yeah. yeah, exactly. And I thought that would be cool. Um, and then I got like a, a partial academic scholarship at, at SU and that, that kind of took a little bit of the burden off my parents and uh, I went to SU and I was originally, as I said, a print major and there were a couple of bylines uh, I had in Daily Orange my freshman year, but at the same time, I uh, walked into WAER and, you know, I'd always um, listened. I mean, I, I spent most of my childhood listening to baseball on the radio sure. um, and, and to, and to uh, you know, lesser extent football, certainly, but football is more the TV sport. Uh, but before extra innings, um, I used to sit up all night with um, an old dial AM radio and uh, listen to every baseball game up and down the East Coast. So that was kind of my dream, maybe to do radio, but that, that seemed to be a very, very, very long shot. Print was the way I thought I could uh, do this. And uh, anyway, got to Syracuse and then uh, my freshman year. I had a little success in WAER and got on the air and then uh, never really looked back to print. Be- college radio can be an amazing thing. You know, I did it as well. And I, and I think not only did you get to do it, but you had a, you had a Final Four you got to go to and, yeah. you know, call Final Four games. Is it Was it not like experiencing the juice, you know, like being in the, in the stadium, feeling the juice of a Final Four? Did that really kind of shape you as well? Not just getting a chance to do the work, but... What a great time you got to be there and uh, one of the great – up to that point, one of the great moments for the basketball program, right? Totally, yeah. Um, I was so very fortunate. Um, so, so, so very lucky. Uh, you know, it was the last, the last basketball game I have called was the <laughs> national, champ, national championship game in 96 when SU lost to a Kentucky team that had eight or nine future NBA players on it. Um, at uh, yeah. the old Brendan Byrne Arena, yeah, um, at the Meadowlands, yeah, yeah. we were lucky, man. We WAER, um, you know, the student radio station, which is under the you know under the new house umbrella, but you know, independent as, as much as it can be. We got to travel and uh, for football and, and basketball. I certainly didn't do every football game. I mean, the seniors divide those up. I did a few certainly in my last year. I did Marvin Harrison. Uh, I'm sorry, Donovan McNabb's first game where he threw a touchdown to Marvin Harrison actually yeah. um, in in Chapel Hill. You picked when the he right was a time. Freshman. 
Yeah. And I was a senior, but uh, John Wallace and J.B. Reefsnyder and Otis Hill and Todd Bergen and, and Lazara Sims uh, took that team on a great ride that year. I, I maintain even even more so than 03, the national championship. That was Beheim's best coaching job in 96. Now, I mean, there have been other Final Four trips since then where you go, wow, how in the heck did they get there? But that 96 team was John Wallace. I mean, they played five and a half guys, six guys. And it was John Wallace and the Kentucky team that we lost to in the national championship game was Antoine Walker, Ron Mercer, both lottery picks, Walter McCarty, Tony Delk. Jesus. um, Buzzside. What's his name? Um, Epps, Anthony Epps, um, Mark Pope. um, there were, there were eight NBA guys on that team, in, including multiple lottery picks. And when Lazara Sims hurt his wrist with eight and a half minutes to go, it was a one-point game. So, like, the idea of how they got there is, is amazing. But, yeah, to be in that arena was great. Um, got to travel a lot. Got to go to Hawaii for the Rainbow Classic. I mean, I'm a, I'm a 20, 21-year-old kid. So uh, that, that was um, a springboard, especially considering when we made it to the Final Four, my partner, Todd Jamison, um, and I would call the games and, you know, Bob Raceman on the Friday morning of the final four, you know, legendary media columnist long before Twitter, what he wrote, everyone read and it mattered. Uh, Bob Raceman did a story on here come these Syracuse kids, Todd and Andrew calling this game in New York. And, you know, last time they went to the final four, Mike Tirico is doing the game and look out for these kids. Wow. And that, that, that helped a lot. Then you get your big break. And um, by the way, I know it's East Rutherford, not Newark, before the New Jersey people get on me. I don't know why I said oh, Newark. Who cares? Yeah, now it's Newark. That, yeah. Then it was East Rutherford. <laughs> uh, um, you get your first break in Chicago. You go do radio there. And again, it's not just that you're in Chicago doing radio, but you're there at another amazing time. You get two yeah. Bulls championships in the Sosa home run chase. Yeah, man. It was um... – Look, I, I am forever grateful and will forever be in the debt of, of a certain number of people. One of them is a guy named Jeff Joniak, who is now the legendary voice of the Chicago Bears. But then he was the sports director for WMAQ Radio Chicago, um, which was an all-news CBS O&O. It's now the score. It's the same frequency. But then it was um, one of two CBS all-news O&Os, like Wins 1010 and whatever in New York and um, someone connected me with him. He needed a hourly update guy slash reporter. Um, I sent a tape. I look, I'm 21. I don't, I, I shouldn't be on the air in Chicago, right. but I had this really deep voice and, and Jeff hired me sight unseen with, you know, checking on some references and I packed everything I owned into a uh, Dodge shadow and drove from Syracuse to Chicago, sight unseen. Uh, Jeff has told this story countless times um, on air. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm here. I am five foot seven, bad skin and baggy khaki pants, and he had never seen me. And uh, he came downstairs <laughs> at NBC Tower on my first day there, and you know, starts looking around like, "Where is this person I hired?" And I'm like, "Hi, Jeff," and he he. He tells the story far better than me. Just went like, "Holy bleep! What did I do?" Um, <laughs> you sounded and, better than you uh, looked, I guess. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just like this kid's gonna get killed here, um, you know, as a trying to be a, a big city reporter. Um, look, I, I was nothing more than a human mic stand my first couple of years. 
But, uh, you know, I did the updates at 15 and 45 and was out in the field. And yes, I was very, very, very fortunate. Um, covered some bad Bears teams, but got my feet in the door at Hallis Hall and was there every day and sort of, you know, got my way into the NFL world and got to cover a couple of Michael Jordan championships and a Sosa home run chase and live in Wrigleyville and, you know, live it up as a as a 20 something in Chicago, which um, is is a great place to be at that age. Did you have kind of a different view of the last dance when you were watching that? Because we, I assume you watched because we all did because it was COVID. Yeah. But were you? Did you get a chance to kind of like go back into that time? Totally, uh, yeah. it, was, it, it was great, and and it actually helped to, to reconnect with a lot of people from back then that I had sure. fallen out of touch with. I still have that stuff. I, I'm I'm a bit of a pack rat. My my girlfriend hates me for it, but <laughs> I, like I yeah. you know I still have the hats and t-shirts from championship sticks. Um, from the locker room, like downstairs, you know, the actual Sweet. from Dennis Robbins, yep. de- from Dennis Robbins locker, because he had a huge box of stuff that he didn't want. And, you know, Bulls PR said, anybody want these hats and shirts? I'm like, I'll take one. <laughs> so, um, awesome. I still have all that. I still have newspaper clippings and uh, I'm the guy that would go cause I was, you know, a kid, like go buy the sun times and, and, and trip cover the next day and put him in plastic. I'm, I'm that guy. So it was during COVID when the last dance aired Yeah, and you know, I'm here by myself working from home and we're all kind of lonely. And you remember those kind of yep. became like watch parties and, and like events that all of us can, can get online and share socially as we're locked in our homes. And, uh, it was great. And, uh, I still have that stuff and it was a great time. Look, I, I, as I said, I got lucky, and it, it was truly, truly an amazing experience to to sit there courtside and, and watch Michael Jordan night in, night out as a twenty three year old or whatever I was. <laughs> I bet. Uh, I was talking. I'm a big Stern guy, and I had uh, mm-hmm. J- Jackie Martling on, and he still has every note he ever passed to Howard. So like, wow. so like he'd collect them. After he the kept show? them. He took them home and filed them every day. That's insane. He he was on, and I was asking him about the day that um, Conan O'Brien was in, and they just roasted him with the Jackie puppet. And uh, he's like, "Hold on, let me get the notes out." He just pulled them out. Was reading jokes. That's absurd. He wrote the house. So that's a different level, I suppose. Of uh, no, I mean, I used to keep stuff, like but, all my yeah. credentials for years. I, I have long stopped doing that. Maybe I keep. For, for Super Bowls or, or for things like Big that. Events, yeah. Um, yeah, I used to keep all of that. I don't. But when I was younger, I, I certainly kept newspapers and programs. Like I, I mentioned Donovan McNabb's first game. I have that program. Um, I have all these old Syracuse media guides and this and that. And yeah, I, I, I probably keep too much, to be honest with you. I like it. Keep 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 on it. Uh <laughs> The uh, I'm a radio guy, really, like at heart. Like I grew up loving radio, listening to the radio, like all day and over. I still listen. I still go to bed Same. with headphones because I list. I go to bed listening to old Sterns or whatever. But um, I feel like I know you the most through the radio, or at least I feel most connected to you that way. Like in 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 the way that we can get romantic about radio sometimes, whether it was early days of Fox Sports Radio or. Rome show is really where I feel like I really got to know you. You filling in on Rome or being a part of the culture there. 
um, the different big moments you were a part of over the years there, the different nicknames. I don't know which ones you <laughs> like or don't like, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use any no, of them. I don't care. And uh, no, it, and 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 all the radio you've it's done these, culminating, I think, for you, maybe you're never gonna have a more special moment on radio than calling that missed field goal in Cleveland, <laughs> um, which I think that was a great call. I heard you on Eisen sort of saying. You thought you overdid it. I thought that was a great hometown. You got to remember that's a hometown radio call. Maybe if you're national CBS window TV, maybe you can say you're going to get a lot of tweets. Man, this guy loves the Browns, which would be fair. Uh, But um, I think for radio, that was a great call. What about just your relationship with radio and your love for it over the years and and how it's been a part of your life? Seemingly every step of the way, no matter how big you got on TV, you were still connected with radio, it seemed like. Yeah, radio is is what I always kind of wanted to do, and, and and thanks on the Browns thing. I mean, I hated the circumstance. I mean, the, sure. it's great that Jim Jim Donovan's back this week, which which God makes bless all him. of us. Yeah, so God happy. bless him. Um, I hated the circumstances, but you know, it was something that I had dreamed of doing as a little kid. Like I told you, I used to go to bed listening to the games every night. I mean, yeah. always daydream about what it would be like to to call an Indians game or a Browns game or or anything like that. And it, it was pretty cool. And what came out was truly me being the fan there, um, and it was awesome. But radio is, I mean, listen, man, I. You remember those old uh, clock radios with the red numbers? Oh, yeah. I had it. I had it for years. Yep. That's how I listened to games every night. You know, and I I knew, as I'm sure you do, the whole East Coast, I could listen to the Mets on FAN. Yep. And I could uh, listen to the Yankees on 770 on ABC. And I could listen to the Indians on 1100 W, well, then 3WE. Um, I could listen to the Orioles on 1090. I could listen to the Red Sox and WTIC 1080. And I, I was out of Hartford, not out of Boston. And I could sit there and I could blanket the East Coast. And every now and then GN would come in. And every now and then 1000 would come in with the White Sox. And that that's how I spent my night. I mean, it, it's, it wasn't red zone, but it was like MLB strike zone that I did on my radio. I wasn't talking to myself into a hairbrush or anything like that, but I, that's, that's how I spent my night. And, and as I got older and, you know, I, you know, I used to work at the driving range down the street and pick up golf balls in the mud till one in the morning. And I'd be out there with my, with my uh, Walkman and the same thing on the dial. Then you got the digital dial where all, I actually didn't even like the, the digital radio because it either came in or it didn't come in. But with right. the dial, I could usually play with mess it. with it with yeah. my – exactly yeah. and try to – A little and, bit and more so to the left, a little bit more to the right. You could, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'll be honest with you, Steve. I never, ever, 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 ever thought of doing television. I, I had no desire to do television. I don't feel comfortable speaking to a room of people almost even to this day. I mean, you may find that funny, but no, I it's get it. the truth. Yeah, I get that. I, I could sit in a television studio and talk to 5 million people and not be remotely anxious about it because I'm just talking to the people on set. Like, these are my people. These are my friends. These are my coworkers. Like, I'm just doing a show for them, right? I know these people. There's no judgment. And if there is, we're all friends, right? Yeah. Um, like me emceeing something. I believe I've gotten over the fears over the years, but me getting up on stage in front of a thousand people at some corporate event, I have more anxiety for that than doing a TV show to 5 million. Well, what's the Seinfeld joke? It's like uh, at the average funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than given the eulogy, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause public it, speaking it, is it, a bigger fear than death, I guess was the, exactly. The premise, and right. I'm, 
I'm over it. I'm just not comfortable doing it. Does that make sense? It does. It and does. Uh, TV, I don't even blink. Um, yeah. But to, to, to go back to the radio, I always thought because of that, radio was the only thing I ever wanted to do. And the only thing I could do, realistically. Um, I wasn't uh, – I was kind of shy as a kid. Uh, I'm more comfortable with adults than with, like, people my own age. Um, and – Radio was my thing. I, I, I kind of grew up a little bit and learned to express myself and, you know, found a comfort zone. And then years later, someone here at Fox um, in 2020, no, in 2003, put me on television. And that's somehow how I got here, period. I mean, that's it. Right. Really, I never thought of doing it. I think of this as radio. You know, I feel like I'm doing radio when I'm talking to you, when I'm working you on are. the show. You, totally you know what are. I mean? To me, it's – I know it's a little different. It's a different format. To me, it's radio, and I think that's why I fell in love with it when it first started because it combined the best of radio and took out the worst, right? It took out the commercial breaks and, you know, the um, connection issues or things like that. But, you know, to me, this is still radio, and, um, you know, I listen to, to stuff every single day. I'm listening to some kind of – you know, quote unquote radio content, whether it's directly radio or, you know, a podcast or something like that. But same. And, yeah. and radio also, and you know, this is the most intimate of mediums. It is. You're in my and ears. You're in, you're in bed with me. You're in my, in my ears, ear. Yeah. You're literally in my ear, or I'm alone in my car and I'm listening to you, and it's just you and me. And I want to be careful. I'm not like crapping on everybody's got a podcast. Like everybody, yeah, everyone does. It, it, Absolutely, it's, it's opened yep. the door for so many people um, to express themselves, and so many people whose talent might have never seen a bigger audience and bigger stage to get out there. And it's it's great on so many levels. But there are also a lot of bad podcasts out there because everyone thought they could do radio. Most broadcast professionals will tell you man radio is a hell of a lot harder than television um and i'm not saying television is easy because i'm not that good at it but there are plenty of things in tv that are far harder than radio sure but people used to ask me all the time hey what's it like to do a three-hour radio show and i would say okay here's what you do Um, i want you to go into your bathroom close the door and talk to yourself for three hours and then come out (laughs) <laughs> and then and, and just just keep it going yeah. i mean no dead forget, air forget that there's a, yeah. a sink and a shower in there and a yeah. toilet but just just keep going for three hours and make it interesting please and that's that's radio I rem- it's hard i remember when i started this the biggest challenge was i remember the first time i reached out to peter king he's like yeah i'll do it but what is a podcast you know what do we have to do what do you ask i remember then yep. the pandemic came and I think the numbers are there was about 700,000 podcasts at the pandemic and then 1.7 million more were created during that time. Yeah. And so now the, the, the challenge is, well, I've been asked to be on 75 podcasts this week. You know what I mean? Why, you know, right. I, and I'm sure as someone who gets asked quite a bit, I'm sure you do. That's gotta be difficult, right? To sort through what, what's legit, what's not, you know, what, it's it's got to be it's it's a new sure. it's a new challenge I think for talent to try to figure that it, out. It so, is a know. new challenge. Yeah. At the same time, I mean, let, let's not overdo. It's not like it's some amazing burden. I I think Kyle Brandt, um, who I love, yeah, uh, been the good whole to me. He's been good to love, me. Yep. Kyle did something a couple of weeks ago where he's like, "Hey, like honestly, I'm over your podcast," and it, it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't like I'm over the medium. 
he was just like, I get so many requests. And, and he said, I realize this sounds like an uppity first world issue. It is. I get it. But um, yes, you're right, Steve. Yeah. To your point. <laughs> Sebastian Bach from Skid Row said the same thing. Like, I know that's a, a random name to pull out of my hat right there, but I just, but, I, his but, quote, like, I'm, I do not want to be on your podcast, is I think what he said. And he didn't well, say it you, because he doesn't like podcasts. It's because he got asked to be on a thousand that day, right? You know? There's there's something else at work here, and I know I'm wasting your time by rambling a lot. No, please ramble. Over 30 minutes, I, I'll, I'll push the other meeting. The, <laughs> the, um, a lot of it has to do with technology and our ability to connect with anyone. And that's a deeper conversation about no, um, right. social media, social media hate, right? That yeah. athletes and celebrities get, and just horrible messages that they get online. Also, lots of great messages from fans. But like back in the day, and I, I'm going to take a leap here, but bear with me. When somebody wanted to write something horrible to Henry Aaron or to <laughs> Jackie Robinson, it took a they, minute. They, yeah, they, it, it took a minute to yeah. write a letter and put it. in in an envelope and, and go to the post office. Now that speaks to the level of their insanity and hatred that they took all that effort. That's another issue. But nowadays anybody can sit at a red light and write the most horrible things to somebody in the public eye, an athlete, a celebrity, a politician, because of social media and the ability to connect. It's also a great thing is that it brings people together, right? It, and and it, but it gives the ability of the people of the ten thousand podcast to reach out to anybody, right? Yeah. It also brings the ability of young, like up and come, like kids or students, to reach out to people that they admire and seek help, professional advice. You know that, like, I had to write letters to famous broadcasters when I was a kid, asking them to listen to my tape. Now. You know, I'm flattered that anyone can reach out to me over social media. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, yeah. social media brings us all together. I um, could have never. I know this. I could you know have never grown this. Yeah, I could have never grown this to this level before right. social media. You know what I mean? It would have been. I just. I couldn't. I couldn't have. Um, especially not as quick. Where you know, episode one, I have Jeff Passan. You know, and by episode six, mm -hmm. I'm talking to the sports writer of the year at the time, which was. Uh, Joe Pisnanski. I could have never done that kind of thing without social media. So, I mean, think yeah. about when we were kids. Like, I mean, pick your favorite baseball player. Yeah. You, if you had the ability sitting on the couch watching your favorite baseball player as a kid, the ability to send him a message during the game where there's a chance <laughs> when he got to the clubhouse afterwards, he might see it on his phone. That's wild. Like what, think about that. Yeah, that's, that's what wild thought. That's what we have the ability now to do, for, for better or for worse. Dangerous. I was watching yeah. an NFL Films clip the other day, and it was they were asking NFL players if they know the old definition of GOAT. You know, like now we uh -huh. think of the GOAT right. as like the greatest of all time, and before when we were growing up, the GOAT was the guy who screwed up. And I was just right. watching and thinking – I was just watching and thinking – Thank God poor Bill Buckner didn't have to deal with a Twitter account in 1986, oh yeah, I, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Whatever. That's a great point. Goat or moment. Ernest Biner. Yeah. Oh, poor fan, Ernest Biner. Yeah. yeah. I remember I remember exactly where I was watching that in my living room and seeing the hole and thinking, oh, my God, the Browns are going to win. And then yeah, I jumped up on the couch. Yeah, somehow he we, didn't make it yeah. with the ball. You know, I just yep. I remember that moment. Tough one. I'm a Saints fan, so I got plenty of tough ones we could talk about. Yeah. Sorry. And, and you know what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I, my love for the Saints is kind of another thing that brought you into my living room for so many years because I, I've seen every Saints game since 1996 since I could drive to a sports bar and watch it. And once we built our house in 2009, I've been a, I was a Sunday ticket subscribe. You know, uh, every year I, I still have it post track TV because I got to watch the Saints games. And uh, you had the unbelievable run. You were my guy on TV two for you know ten years or more, twelve years I think. You know you were on TV two Saints game on the big TV, Red Zone and Siciliano on the other TV. You know if I got annoyed with the announcers on the Saints game because we stink and they're giving us the the do uh, you know business, I might turn them down, turn you up. You know four o'clock games, I put you on, just relax, maybe take a nap, see you in the background, but. I felt like you were here watching football with me for 12 years, and you've been gone, and I've missed you this year. Uh, but it'd be a horrible interview if we didn't at least spend the last couple of minutes talking about your unbelievable run at Red Zone. And how have you been? I know I've missed you. Have you missed it? How have you been uh, not doing that Absolutely. after doing it for 18 years? I do miss it. And I, I tweeted that, I think, week one. I think I just kept it simple, saying I, I miss you too. You know, yeah. there there is no other way for me to say it. And the outpouring of uh, support and emotion and however you want to call it um, uh, on social media or on text. I mean, I still get them every Sunday. So um, look, it, I'm flattered. I, I'm flattered. I'm a football fan like everyone else. Like I, I live for Sundays just like everyone else. My Sundays are a lot different and I'd be lying to you if I told you I did not miss it. I absolutely do. Uh, but I also like, you know, the new challenges and, and the new things that I, I get to do now, and I'm excited for the future and, and the next chapter. I get to do more play-by-play this year, which is fun. We've launched a new digital pregame show on NFL Network with Steve Weich and, and Cynthia Freeland and, and our insiders. Yeah, That's great. It's good. It's good. Um, you know, it's streaming. It's a different world and, and maybe a different demographic, but I think it's going to take off, and, and I'm excited for that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to replace, man. Look, we, we caught lightning in a bottle. I like to tell people that we didn't invent America's short attention span, but we, we came along at the right time. <laughs> you helped it. Yeah. Um, when, when David Hill came up with his idea in really, I'd say late 2004, because, you know, we did our first show in 05, but the, the TV deal had been negotiated that previous year that allowed us to do it at direct TV in 05. When Eric Shanks first called me and said, hey, come into the office, I want to talk to you about something. Um, and when we first sat, uh, sat down at his office and talked about it, my reaction was, cool, okay, uh, fun, a new project to work on. This is exciting. But at the same time, like, I don't know if it's going to work. And, the same, and, and my other thought was, well, crap, now I can't sit around with my friends and watch games all day. <laughs> like, I'm going to miss that. Because yeah. I, had, I had a great group of friends and, you know, we had – we were over at my buddy's father's house every Sunday and somebody would bring bagels and somebody would bring this and that. And we'd sit there from 10 a.m. L.A. time until five o'clock at night every single Sunday for how many every years, three, four years. And uh, we had our great group and we sat there with our computers and our fantasy teams and screamed and yelled and you know, much like a million other basements around America. And my first thought was like, oh, man, like I gotta give that up. Yeah, it's tough. That's tough uh, to give well, up. Well, if it, it doesn't, is. if it doesn't work, yeah. I'll be back there be next back. year. Yeah. And and then it worked. And then you know, eighteen years later, do you, whatever. The do rest you, is history. We got to get out. But do you have a moment that you look back on and say, like, a, just a football specific moment? Maybe that was just crazy that you'll just you'll never forget 
you're balancing four games, you know, or something, a, a play, a run, a moment. Is there anything you think of when you look back on the run? I know that's kind of I, broad, I mean, but it, it, you know, it is. It's it's tough. It's, I get asked that a lot. I mean, we did well over 300 shows. It's tough to pick one moment. Um, I mean, there there were you know classic walk offs like you know, Deshaun Jackson stuff or, or, you know, the crazy finish last year in Vegas with Chandler Jones and the lateral and Kobe Myers and all that. You always have great finishes. Honestly, they kind of all melt into one when it comes down to, you know, this finish happened and then that finish happened and they all happen simultaneously. Um, I, I can't pick one as a Browns fan. You know, I remember a lot of those moments, um, you know, when they should have made the playoffs in 07 as a 10-win team. Um, so many of those great moments. I remember in 2020 um, when everyone had COVID and they lost at the Meadowlands against the Jets with, at MetLife with a chance to make the playoffs in like week 17. And uh, I might have punched a television and put my <laughs> fist through it. Um, I've been I there. I've been there. Like I've been that. there. <laughs> Yeah. But I, I honestly, dude, I, I just remember uh, the great crew we had and the great fun we had because I, I was able to um, recreate what we had on the couch with my buddies there for 18 years, whether it was with James Crittenden or Bill Wagner or uh, Derek Manning or, or Don Bowie or, or Bill Kalick or Ben Fleming or uh, Daniel Burris or, or all our great crew jeff porper that we had there uh, at direct tv for so long where those became my football friends on sunday and uh i don't know that we i mean it's going to sound very 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 self-serving we we didn't change the face of sports television but i know we did something um that that you know, led, led led to a lot of people copying it. Yeah, wraparound shows are. Sports. There's a word for it right exactly. now. Wraparound shows. I didn't know that there wasn't that word before, you guys. And people are always no. going to try to do this forever now because it's amazing. And I look at it like and this. Di- I was like, Go "Hey ahead. guys, I'm going to watch my game over here. You be my eyes and ears for every other game that's going on, and let me know when I need to pay attention to something." It's like, sure, yeah. And, and we came along. Um, look, in 05, people weren't watching games on their phone, but the idea of having multiple TVs in your house, like in your basement, was just kind of becoming a thing, whether yep. you want to call it a man cave or whatever. Um, and, and then as technology continued to improve, and the other thing, too, was fantasy football. Absolutely. Fantasy football was really hitting its stride. And Red Zone made 05. for it. Yep. And Red Zone made for and it. Yeah. This came along when fantasy football was blowing up. We we did our first fantasy football show at, at Fox in 03. Um, the first national one. It was uh, Patrick O'Neill, Eric Kramer, Warren Moon, and me. And uh, then That's we crew. launched Red Zone two, two years two later. Years later yeah. yeah, it was a great crew. Um, and remember, we shot – you don't you may not know this. We shot Red Zone at Fox the first couple of years because I, yeah, Fox I do. owned yep. DirecTV. So – um, we were all Fox people when we started, and then, well, we were we were Fox people that because uh, David Hill and Eric Shanks were at both places, right? Especially David between yeah. Fox and Directv, so he picked Fox people for his Directv project, and we worked out of Fox, and then we eventually all moved over to Directv. So, and because of that connection, David Hill gets a mention on this podcast in back to back weeks. 
Yeah, I, I heard Joe so mention David and the whole thing yeah. about hosting SNL and yeah. all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, David. Well, David. David and I didn't work together much. This was first couple of years, but he always gets credit, and it was his idea, and he wanted somebody Genius. with a radio background to do this. Um, and Eric Shanks had overseen something similar in Europe um, with Serie A soccer. That's really where the concept came from. Um, the Italian and, League. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, they put it together and they asked me, the radio guy, to do it. Um, I was in the building doing some other very small things on FSN, well, the fantasy show being the biggest. But, um, you know, I was the sidekick with Tony Bruno on the Fox Sports Radio Morning Show, which was syndicated in L.A. on 570 at the time. And so I was in everyone's car in the morning with Tony that people heard go back to the radio thing. Yeah. And um, my phone rang and I'm, and I'm lucky it did. All right. Andrew Siciliano is on Twitter. You can follow him there at Andrew Siciliano. And, of course, you can watch him on the NFL Network. And he's been on Rich Eisen the last few weeks, so I think that's kind of over now. He's you know, he's, he's everywhere, here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> you can find him. I'm sure Twitter, Instagram, a good way to keep up with them. Uh, I appreciate this. I know I, I maybe bothered you a little, <laughs> a little bit more than I probably no, should have. No, but no, I, I appreciate I'm you sorry for in. not responding no, sooner, man. It's all good. Do you have any questions for me before I let you go? Um. Who's your yeah. elusive guest that you have not yet gotten? I probably have to say Simmons because I did try really hard for him, especially the first couple of years. Kind of gave up, but I, I probably Bill Simmons. He was just on a sports media podcast, uh, so it's kind of reignited my hope a little bit. Like maybe he's getting a little bit more open to doing them because for years he really didn't do much. He would do Francesa, and that's about it mm-hmm. outside of his world, obviously. So probably Simmons. There's obviously like, I mean, I would love to have Drew Brees on, and I've literally been texting his guy for like 15 months every other day <laughs> trying because uh, he, he said he'll do it, but not now. So I don't know when when that'll be, but that's obviously when. I had Jonathan Vilma on, who was the defensive captain of our Super Bowl team, so I'd love to have him. I still got to have Nance, the guy who actually called the Saints Super Bowl. He right. would be on the list. That It's getting shorter, though. I just Have you I, had Reggie on? No, I have not. I have not had Reggie. Just going down the list. Yeah, see. yeah, that would be that. That's definitely something. I had. I've had McAllister. I've had uh, Vilma. I don't do a lot of athletes. I prefer to talk mm-hmm. to media people. Athletes don't say a lot. Um, once they get into media, they become, I think, more interesting. Sure. But um, I've had just about like I've had all the Monday Night Football guys. So I had like you know I had Trico that covers the Gleason pump block. You know, I had Testatore that covers the Breeze uh, touchdown mm-hmm. passing record. You know, so I, I've, for serving myself, which I guess this show is really an ultimate self-service, uh, I've done well. Uh, but, yeah, there's more out there. I'd love to have someone from Pearl Jam. I've been to 86 Pearl Jam shows. You know, I'm a oh, huge wow. I'm a huge Stern guy, and I've had Jackie Martling and Artie Lang, so that's kind of a really cool thing that I was able to do. You know, to have the two most prominent non-Howard non-Howard, Gary, um, Fred, and Robin people on is pretty cool. So, yeah, it's been it's been a run. It's way more than ever expected it would be. And, hey, I got another great debut here today. I appreciate you so much for doing it and being a part of it. And I'd love to have you again because I think we did about half what I prepared. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah well, get you back Steve, next um, year. I'm happy early. to do it. Let, let's definitely do it again. And uh, I apologize for rambling incessantly. No, I loved too it. Much about myself because you didn't get through everything you you prepared my, I, my apologies i would I mean. rather hear <laughs> i would rather hear your stories than worry about my preparation 
Uh, there'll be, <laughs> there'll be another time. There'll be another time for that. Thank you so much, Andrew. You got it. Chairman Doug Luke's 73 From Millhead Maximus Traffic just lined up Across the front page Seems the man has had a summertime Long way Alright, I want to thank Andrew Siciliano For being on the podcast today That was awesome Strong debut there Nick Bakai in a minute But first a quick book club update and i'm gonna do this quickly i know i've said it's the last plug for this book a few different times but i just love the author and love the book it's called the wingman the unlikely unusual unbreakable friendship between john glenn and ted williams if there's a listener out there who would like this book for themselves or to give as a gift and would like a signed copy of it uh email me the sportscasters at gmail.com and I can make that happen for you as a gift. If you have a father, a grandfather, a grandmother, anyone who would like to, the story of the wingman, a World War II story of friendship between John Glenn and Ted Williams. It's got baseball, American history. If you want to give someone an autographed copy of that book, I can help you with that. So email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com. Uh, we have to reach out to Ken Reed and find out about Hometown Hockey Heroes, uh, his book. We'll do that very soon. Um, you can find that in bookstores. It's been out for a bit now. And the big one, which I want to do next, I'm going to reach out to Kenny uh, next episode. Assume he'll be on a mic for all seasons. My three decades announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, and Olympics. So I'll read this over the holiday and get in touch with Kenny and have him on. We have already one lined up for next year. I'll mention here it's called Charlie Hustle. The Rise and Fall of Pete Rose and the Last Glory Days of Baseball by Keith O'Brien. That'll be a debut in season 14. Um, he's never been on, and that will be a fun book to read. Uh, but really, all we have left for the year, we only have a few shows left, probably two or three after this, and we have to get Kenny Albert, and we have to get Ken Reed uh, on, and we'll be done with the book club uh, for the year, and we'll look ahead to next year, um, which will be led off by uh, Charlie Hustle and Pete Rose. All right, let's take a break. We will come right back uh, with Nick Bakai. Hey, Nick, welcome back. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. I, I This has got to be a record of first appearance to second appearance. <laughs> because, and here's the thing, too. Like, I don't blame you in the sense that whenever we had you on originally, it was somewhere between 2011 and, you know, late 2011 and early 2012. Uh, we had no business talking. I had no business doing that interview, right? Um, I was so green and so raw and so clueless and so just winging my pants in a prayer kind of a thing, you know. <laughs> and uh, but it was so it was well, it was so crazy back then because social media was so new and people's follower totals were still low, and you could be in someone's DMs and. They're only getting three, four a day, and everyone's responding. And, you know, I talked to so many big people so fast. Probably wasn't ready for it. Yeah. But, 
I'm glad to have you back today. I'm thrilled to be back, and I'm really glad that things have grown and thrived for you. That's beautiful. You know, I'm bullish on Buffalo. Yes, and uh, and I'm all I'm all for any but any homies doing well. That's all I care about. <laughs> what part um, did you I'm grow really up? Ha- what part of the city did you grow? I grew up? I grew up, uh, you know, downtown, right near Children's Hospital. Okay, I guess they call it. I guess they call it Elmwood Village. Yep. Although I'm I'm old enough that it didn't have a name. It was kind of the West Side when I was growing up. Yep. Right? <laughs> did you go to a Buffalo so, Public High School? No, I okay. went to. Uh, don't hate me. I went to Nichols. Okay, yeah. Well, my brother. Well, yeah. we were St. Francis family, so. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. But Nichols. So Christian Leitner is obviously an alum there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the big. He was the big sports alumni and some really good hockey players. Yeah, Buffalo um, former Buffalo yeah. Sabre Tim Kennedy is among the. Uh, That's right. That's right. No, they, I mean that was always the big program there. They had good hoops, great hockey. Now you um, would be embarrassed were... because my my brother was a a big big buffalo hockey star right he was what you would call in football i guess like a four-star recruit he mm-hmm. ended up he ended up going to yale um to play on a full you know to play hockey there um and wow. when when he was a so nichols and saint francis had the only prep programs in western new york at, at the hockey level and when my brother was a freshman before he had made the prep team they started an annual christmas time game they were they committed to play each other every year at Christmas, and they would alternate who hosted. So you know, St. Francis would play it at uh, Leisure Rinks at Orchard Park, and then the next yep. year it would be at Nichols. And they did mm-hmm. this, and uh, my brother's junior year, Nichols won two to one in Nichols. So then it was my brother's senior year; it was set to be um, at St. Francis, and they were going to build a big event around it. Um, and Nichols backed out because they weren't, they weren't going to win. <laughs> Because they had lost oh, to it, um, they did not I hate to say that. want that any. Sounds like that sounds like Nichols, you know. But I'll say this uh, too: you know. <laughs> St. Francis wouldn't have been above doing something as petty as well. It just happened that, that right? it was Nichols' turn That's to do so it. Interesting. <laughs> um, well, you know, it, it's really trippy, you know, because I mean, Nichols had that rink forever. Yep. And you know, I go back far enough that when the Sabers were an expansion team. They used to practice at the rink at Nichols. I remember. Um, I remember sitting there in class. I mean, this is how pro sports has changed. You know, you think about the the amenities and, you know, think about what Pagula did to rebuild the locker room experience when he bought the Sabres, right? Well, in the expansion years, the Sabres used to come and change at the ratty-ass gyms over at Nichols, and then they'd walk from the gyms in the snow, a pretty decent walk with their skates hung on their sticks over their shoulders <laughs> to the rink. And I'd sit there and I'd be spaced out already in math class. Oh, there's and Gilbert Perot. <laughs> and I, you know, there's, there's the French connection. <laughs> yep. There's, you know, there's Roger Crozier. It's like, what's happening? You know, and they're walking there. It was mind boggling. Yep. And then we could go over there and watch them practice. Um, you know, and so, you know, Nichols always had having the rink gave them that leg up. And what? I'm sure they were I'm sure they weren't thrilled when the rest of the city caught up, with <laughs> right. them, you know, and I'm sure they weren't thrilled when Pat Keynes, our our first Buffalo first overall pick in the NHL draft. But, right. And, you know, you know, the, that, the, that, that's that's a beautiful thing. The really interesting Buffalo Pat Kane thing is so um, Pat played, you know, obviously on the best AAA teams, obviously. 
And the yeah. reason he left for Detroit when he did is because, one, he wanted to live with Kevin Deneen, who used to play for the Whalers mm-hmm. and was going to host him, mm-hmm. which makes sense. Okay, you want to live with Kevin Deneen. And he also, I want to live with Kevin Deneen. Right, yeah, why not? Who wouldn't? He also wanted to win the Nash. He thought it gave him the best chance to win the Nationals. And he lost to his team, his Buffalo team, in the national finals. No, yes, they. Wow, they had they eighty eight, which is Kevin or which is Kane's birth year, is considered the best year of Buffalo hockey ever. Um, There's a bunch of NHL or or college level players from that birth year, and everyone else stayed together. Wow, Um, and Pat was the only one who left, and they beat them. Honey baked. He played for Honey Baked in Detroit. Which is a famous youth hockey <laughs> yeah. program, and that's so great. I love that you know all this. Them, I just yeah. love it. Well, you know that's that's the thing about planning your career. Every time you, it doesn't matter what line of work you're in. Every time you think you've handicapped a situation and you've completely nailed it, you're never right. Right. Um, it's really trippy. I was going to say about Nichols hosting too, which is cool. When I was a kid, the Sabers practice at they called it Saberland. It's now called it's it's not it's a town you know it's it's right down the street from me on Niagara Falls Boulevard, and my dad worked at the Pepsi plant out here, and I remember I would get to come see my dad at work and go over watch the Sabers practice, and he would tell me when I was a kid my dad would take me to Nichols we would watch him at Nichols, um, nice and um, all I knew about where it was where my dad worked all I knew about it was it was by Mississippi Muds which is a famous hot dog stand here on the Niagara <laughs> River. I knew it was by that, and I knew it was by where the Sabres practiced. Um, but obviously now they, they practice at Harbor Center or at the arena, which is all in the same spot oh, downtown yeah. now. But Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, those were the days. And I went to um, pre-K, and one of my classmates was Bob Sove, the goalie's son. Yeah. And um, every, you know, sixth day, Bob Sove would come and pick his son up. You know, and I was the only other kid in the daycare that knew, oh, my God, that's Bob Sove. You know, and I would, like, mark out as a three-year-old that Bob Sove. You, you were on this track <laughs> yeah. from Jump Street, right? <laughs> I was. I was. That's really good. And then when oh, he, got, he got traded to the Blackhawks, and, you know, that was the end of my Sove connection. Until now, there's these grids. You know, they have these immaculate grids, like it started with baseball. And there's, like, three teams oh. at the top and three teams on the side. And where they intersect, you have to... Oh, okay. You know, so like the Sabres would be on the top left, the Blackhawks yeah. would be on the the um side left, and where it intersects, you need to pick someone who's a Saber and Blackhawk. So now I always use Bob Sove for that, and it's like the lowest oh, picked guy because like eight oh, degrees of only I remember Jared, that yeah. Jerry Desjardins. I can, oh boy, exactly. I can go back on that. That's <laughs> that's that sounds like the kind of. Trivia game. You it's, play at, it's the bar, yeah. at the bar yeah. at the bar at the Swanee House at three AM and I would love nothing better. And it grew in baseball because baseball is perfect for it because it has that long, rich history. And it really it, it is a game too in the internet era that really does favor the older person because you just know more players, right? You just know more yeah. eras. You know, like I can yeah. pick up guys from the eighties. You know, I'm, see, but no, you and I would be a good team because yeah. what and you hit the seventies, right? Yeah, you know, you know yeah. I can get you through certain eras, yep. and then it drops like a cliff. You yeah. know? so um, you know, the, 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 I'm not. I couldn't get us through the later years. Um, life, life, life blows all that youthful enthusiasm and completionist out of most of us. Sounds like not you, but most of us. 
Well, since we have talked last, you've been producing. Producing, yeah. it seems like. Is your is that what you tell people you do? I produce. I produce. I, I will now. It just sounds so much <laughs> better than cool. what I usually say. I feel like that's you know what I do. I produce. Yeah, I produce. I I'm producing. I produce. Yeah. I love, I'm producing. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that is what I do. It's the you know that is the all purpose could mean anything Hollywood title. You know, um, when you see that credit on a movie or a TV show, that could be anything from the guy who does everything to the stars. Um, best friend, right? Uh, who did who did nothing or donated so, money? You know, or, yeah, paid money. To yeah, it's title. It's all uh, in that. And still, hey, money's useful. That's still good. There, there are a lot, a lot of producer credits that are literally people who weren't even there. So, um, but producing means you were active, and I'll take that. You know, it's a good uh, example of that. I heard the Rock, the Rock, say that when he did his first couple movies, to be able to be the Rock because Vince McMahon was the owner still. They had to yeah. give Vince McMahon credit as a producer. Oh yeah. So on like the Mummy or whatever the sequel to the Mummy was, <laughs> it was like his big b- breakout. It's you yeah. know the Rock is the star and the producer is Vince McMahon because this yeah, you had to, to kiss Rock. that ring, yeah. especially the the if you read about the world of wrestling, you know it's 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 one step yeah. one step from circus and carny oh, land, yeah. and it's. You know the the yeah, the territorial and the rights mm-hmm. and all that. Those those guys um, talk about needing a union. Oh yeah, holy holy cow! Still to this so, day. Yeah, no, oh, oh yeah, no, yeah. nothing's changed. And now ten ninety nine, Nick. They they have they're, they're yeah, in, yeah ab- it's absurd. Absolutely, and yeah. listen, there's no there's no and Vince. Well, what Vince, I guess, is out to pasture and only sort of sort of an yeah. honorary, but. You know, the one company owns the universe. Yep. This is not, that's not a business you want to go into. That's rough. Uh, if, if there's no competition, you are doomed. There's a movie coming out that looks fascinating about the Von Erich family. Oh, I can't wait to see yeah, that. Yeah, doesn't that yeah. look so good? It looks really, yeah. really good. Oh, it's such an amazing saga. I'll tell you, uh, one of the shows that I'm addicted to, and I actually don't like watching wrestling, and I never was a big fan of watching it. But the 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 backstage carny showbiz of so it all. Good. Yeah, it's I a, can't get enough. I yeah. can't stop reading books. Yeah, one of the great reads, "Sex Lies and Headlocks." I just recently read the McMahon bio that came out. But the uh, the Vice has that show, "The Dark Side of the Ring." Do you ever watch yep. that? Oh yeah. Oh, I, I can't get enough of that show. It is. Did you see the Adrian Adonis? Um, one? Amazing, because that was yes. like all Buffalo people and, and stuff. So yeah. Buffalo centric, yeah. which I didn't know until I'm watching it. Yeah, but yeah, no, I mean those things are incredible, and um, you know, I, I, I just those and the Von Erics. I actually, I went to grad school at SMU. I was in Dallas in the early '80s. Okay, so the Von Erics were still. Oh yeah, that was high. their time, right? Yeah, no, it was their the prime. Sport of all the sportatorium. Yep. yep. Yes, and they were they were the kings back then. So I'm I'm very aware of them, and th- that is and that the, that family's ride. That's like a Greek tragedy. It's crazy oh, yeah. stuff. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I'm what you call a lapsed wrestling fan, uh, meaning <laughs> I was one, right? Like I was I grew up in the Hulk You're, Hogan era. Are, are you lapsed or are you in recovery? Yeah, I I feel like lapsed is the right word. David Schumacher, who writes about wrestling, had the greatest quote. He's like, wrestling exists in people's past. Um, And it certainly (laughs) exists in mine. I was a huge Hulkamaniac. um, And I still like to watch 80s wrestling. I show it to my 
seven-year-old daughter who knows like every match of WrestleMania three. Um, and, um, but the stories is really what's great. The books, the DVDs, the documentaries. There's going to oh be God, one about man. Vince McMahon that Bill Simmons is doing that supposedly McMahon does not have final cut. So that could be really good. Because uh, he, he, Simmons is producing a documentary about him? Yeah, for HBO. With the same team, I think, that did the Andre the Giant one that they did. I didn't see that. I that was HBO. That. that was really good, too. Yeah. So and then you know, that'll the, be interesting. Yeah, and because he doesn't have cut, he, he he's cooperating with it, but he, he can't change it. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder how they worked that out. So do I. That doesn't sound does that sound like the Vince McMahon I've read? Does not. But Simmons insists <laughs> it's true. Uh, I brought up you producing because you're producing something new, and yeah. I was lucky enough to see an episode. Thank you for that. That was amazing for someone I'm like me. Glad there. you did. My name is on the top of it the whole half hour. You know, I was like. I showed my daughter. Yeah, like, Paula, come here. Come here, Paula. You know, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> my name is on the movie. Look at <laughs> she, And she thought that was the coolest. So thanks for that, too. I was like, cool Good. dad for a day. You know, She's like, anything that gets you points. With your <laughs> yeah, kids yeah is, exactly. That's that's hard fought these days. I know that feeling. But the show is called Bookies and it's going to be on Max. And I loved the first episode. It reminds me of and this comes this. It reminds me of a. Another, um, what was the show with uh, The Rock was a part of on HBO? Um, Ballers. Ballers, or there's been a few of them like that where if you're, you know, I'm into, I'm a sports guy. I'm surrounded by sports gambling, of course. I'm not a huge gambler, but I do gamble now and again. Um, I I can't gamble on my team because I have too much invested in it. Um, But when my team is out, Super Bowl Sunday or something, I'll gamble, enjoy it. Um, and again, yeah. it's something I love the world of. I think it's a great topic. It's really fun. Tell me a little bit about the origin of it and how it came together. I know how hard it is to get a show to this point. Tell me a little bit about the background and kind of how we got here. Oh, I'd be thrilled to. I'm really happy with it, first and foremost. So you know, fun. Sometimes you pour yourself into these things, but you can't always vouch for the result. And this one is... Uh, one of my favorite things I've ever been involved with. And it's a little bit, it, partly because it's a little divergent from a lot of the stuff I've done, but it started with, I mean, this has always been an area that fascinated me. Um, you know, it's because I do bet sports, particularly football and have for years. And if, and I had a very robust, fun, healthy <laughs> relationship with my longtime bookie, um, a guy here in LA who was fairly legendary. And, um, and I also, you know, for uh, quite a few years did that sort of bad beats original. Yeah. You were the original of that. Yeah. That was I'm the OG yep. on a, on sports center on ESPN. So, you know, like this has been in my life forever. Um, and it's something that I started playing with. And then I've also in the last for, you know, the last, um, you know, longer than the last decade, I've worked with Chuck Lorre on a variety of shows. And he approached me saying, are you interested in helping me figure out something to do with Sebastian Maniscalco, who is, um, you know, one of the a top stand up. A paisan of mine. A paisan, yeah. number one total, yeah. and a Chicago paisan. Yeah, I'm a New York, so I'm a New York Italian, but I got no right. the love for the I know, Chicago but Italians. listen, but, but you're a Buffalo guy, so he's a great Lakes paisan. Yeah, oh, hell yeah. That. Yeah, I'll give him that. I and, love, I love and, him. And, yeah. He's brilliant. Yep. And and I said, hell yes, I think he's a genius. And we were throwing ideas around. And, you know, the first instinct was maybe it's a multi-cam sitcom. And we deviated from that. And we just sort of 
cobbled together a whole new attack. And the idea was, let's do a single cam. Let's do something gritty. Let's do a show about a bookie, which I had already started playing with and um, showed some notions. And we thought this is perfect, you know, because Chuck was ready to do something. He and I are both fans of the sort of, I guess you could say, the Elmore Leonard approach to crime can be funny. And um, the bookie felt like the right level. Um, especially in the modern world. And we happen to live in Los Angeles, which is one of the few remaining states where it is still not legal. Yeah, it's wild. To bet. Yep. So, you know, what we had was something we think was kind of fascinating and relatable because, you know, there's so many careers right now. You can wake up tomorrow and what you do has been replaced by a new a new technology, a new app, a new whatever. You're you got a taxi medallion, right. an Uber comes. I was going to say, like the poor Uber driver in the show, right? Who deals with that? You know, yeah, no spo- you no know, spoilers. So, yep. so there's that feeling yeah. of impending doom, as Chuck has said many times. It's the dinosaur looking at the uh, looking at the asteroid hurtling towards him. You know, sure. and so we thought there's something interesting because the bookie, and we have a main character in our show. Um, is a guy who used to deal pot door to door and he's been put out of business by the legalization of weed right. which is Uber if driver, you yeah. if you if yep. you come to LA there are more weed stores than Starbucks yeah, they're everywhere. and gas stations yep. they're omnipresent so we went at this thing and we pitched it to Sebastian and to his credit as opposed to saying no I really had my heart set on a classic I'm a stand up comedian let me have a living room and a family he rolled hard with it and we pitched it to uh hbo max at the time now it's just max and it got you know we sold it and we got rolling with it and and we were shooting all over la we did eight episodes and it it premieres november 30th uh and we're going to drop two at a time every thursday so it'll roll out the whole thing will roll out through the month of december and if you yeah, and it, you know it, it's real. Um, it's got if you're a sports fan, you'll get a charge out of it. But it's not required. It's really it's about you know the, the, these two bookies. It's Sebastian and Omar uh, Dorsey who plays his partner Ray. It's a two hander, and they are amazing together. And it's really just like guys like you and me trying to get over and keep their families alive, doing something rather unorthodox, not unlike you and I as well. And yeah, it turned out it turned out great. So a few things. One, it's interesting you say it's like you don't want the the this battle of something that you're doing now could be replaced. Los Angeles, California, just spent the last year fighting that, right? Whether it be the writers, yeah. or the actors, that's yeah. really the crux of the strike. This last year has been AI and yeah, media, big one, right? All that. Yeah. So that's interesting to me. Um, the other yeah. thing that's interesting to me, especially given your background. And to what you did at ESPN, could you have ever believed, did you ever envision back then that the sports leagues, the sports media, every aspect of sports would be so closely married and in bed with gambling the way it is now versus then? No, in fact, I, I lived the opposite side of this whole experience to the point where I I shake my head frequently because, you know, look, the segment that I used to do on SportsCenter was really the first time um, we would show up on Monday after an NFL weekend. And it was me saying, hey, if you had 
you know, if you had the Carolina Panthers minus three, here's where you, here's where the kicker destroyed your dreams. Right. And we did it. And we had, we had a lot of fun. It was my wife, Robin and I, and we had a sketch element to it, but, but we, it was footage and it was here are the highlights. Or if you bet this game, here's where you, the low lights. And it was wildly popular. We did it for about four years and we were killed by the NFL. The year that we died was the same year that you remember the show Playmakers? Yep. Yep. ESPN did a show. It's really their only Another thing the NFL hated. Yep. <laughs> script, yeah. yeah. Scri- a scripted show about a mythical Real pro football edgy, league. Almost like an XFL yeah, it was, type you know, league. It was the rip from today's yeah. headlines version of yeah. him. And they had literally had, you know, running backs smoking crack at that time. And, right. You know, Steroids. Lurid and everything. Yeah. yeah. And it was popular too. And the deal came up where, you know, that, that round robin when the NFL's game rights come up every three or four years. And we, we were a deal memo and playmakers were a deal memo from the NFL saying, and they didn't like it, but we had support at the network because it was so popular. But when they said, look at ESPN, if you want NFL football on your network, um, you're going to kill both of these projects or it's a non-starter. So the NFL now having ads and like, you know, and listen, you know, it's every, you know, watching Kurt Warner saying, Hey, bet responsibly. You know, it's like, I, I sit there <laughs> all day going like, what the, what am I watching? I can imagine. You know, but, yeah. And, and, you know, I, so, so yeah, I'm, I, it, I'm bouncing on my head a little bit, Steve, because um, I was, I was killed by the same thing that now they, you know, listen, it's a matter of time before Jerry Jones figures out how to get a piece of the in-game betting when bets are placed in the stadium on the Cowboys, you know, uh, web in sure. the network, on their Wi-Fi, wireless, yeah. Yeah. their Wi-Fi, and you know, it, it's so yeah. Needless to say, I didn't see it coming because I, I literally got steamrolled by it. You know, and it's I remember like Chris Berman would do his picks. And you'd always look, and the scores would be like these weird numbers. Yeah. And it's because he's it's strange. He's yeah, making a what wink. football game. Yeah, ends. How many games end with a five? Yeah, yeah. He's like yeah. he's trying to tell you that they're going to win by nine. Is what he's saying here, right? Exactly. And, exactly. and not even. I think it was 2018, maybe 19. They sent Kurt, uh, Tony Romo home from Vegas. It was a simple fantasy football event. Yeah, wasn't that's even right. gambling. And they right. and they ran practically ran him out of the league for even associating with that. And such a small period later, Isn't they have a team funny? on the Las Vegas Strip. <laughs> yeah, and, and how about that? Let's go there. They have the a Raiders team on the play strip. in Vegas, yes. and the, and they're, they're going to have a million Super Bowls there. Yep. And you know, yeah, they've 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 turned it around. And let's not forget the fact that you know some of the great founding families. Of the great old NFL teams, like we're you know, but there were bookies involved with the Steelers and the Giants and their patriarchy, you know. So uh, the hypocrisy was endless. And listen, you know, the whole understanding I had was Pete Rozelle understood that it was betting that was one of the things that drove football. And you know, it's much, it's a much better TV broadcast game. And that was rule number one. But this is what eclipsed baseball and made football America's true pastime. 
But, you know, Rozelle understood that the betting appetite was part of that move, too. And then when you get Tagliabu, who's just a lawyer, and he takes over the league, and yeah. now you've got, now you've got, you know, the, the even teacher, worse. yeah, the teacher, yeah. The, the teacher from the Little Rascals running things, going, <laughs> you know, you're in trouble. Boy, I dated myself with that reference, but you got, I me. like it, yeah. Um, Work for me. anyway. You know, it was just <laughs> now we've got this sort of humorless robot commissioner. Um, you know, and, um, you know, and, and, and then it was, everything was just verboten and not sort of allowed. I mean, look, during Roselle, you had Jimmy the Greek yep. on the CBS pregame show. They were ahead of you their had, time, huh? You had Pete Axtell trying to do the same thing with less personality on NBC. It was omnipresent. Everyone knew, everyone winked, everyone played into it. And all that shuts down under Tagliabue. Because he's got, you know, his panties in a bunch. And, you know, under, under Goodell now, they're, they're, they've realized all we want is money. And this is a way for, for us to make money. In the same way that they did embrace fantasy. And Romo gets in trouble for yep. holding a fantasy, fantasy football conference in Vegas, which is just nuts. You don't think that's driving people to your game? So um, they've come to their senses. But I am, I, I have to, I'm laughing. Believe me, I'm laughing. The sports guys are here with Nick Bakai. Got a new show on. It's going to be debuting on Max Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, called Bookies. I got to watch the first episode. It's fantastic. Couple more minutes with you. I know when I was uh, learning about media and things like that. In my head, I knew that when a, a sitcom started, the path to true success and glory was a hundred episodes. Right, that was the goal. Right. Everyone wanted to get a hundred episodes in because then that yeah. opened up the gates to syndication money, and that's when the true money make would be made. That's when the true riches. What is the twenty twenty three equivalent of that? What is the goal for a show starting up like Bookies? Like, what defines Great. success in the streaming era? Um, where, like you said, you're starting with eight episodes as opposed to twenty two yeah. or twenty three. Yeah. Right. What, yeah. So what? 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 You have to tell me. I, I honestly don't know what. You know what, Steve? I don't think anyone knows. And it's a really good question. Because, look, the model was you do 22 to 24 a year. Get five seasons. After four years, five years, you get the golden hundred, which meant that you could then strip it out and not exhaust the library too quickly when it sold market to market in reruns and syndication to each market. You know, I'm going to sell the reruns. Hey, I just did a show. I ran the show Mom for eight years, right? CBS sitcom. We went seven, eight years. I can't even remember. And we did, you know, we we syndicated twice in terms of episode count. And in theory, that would have been a, a gold mine because we would have then sold Mom to each move sold in Buffalo. We would have sold it in right. Maui. And we had sold it in Kalamazoo, everywhere. Each one was a sale. And all of a sudden, all this deficit finance TV turns into huge profits. Um, they just don't do that much anymore. Um, and if you'll notice, the shows that are in rerun uh, on your local stations are the same ones. Like, look, I worked on King of Queens for you. I was going to say all-time That's, classics. It's, yep. it's still on. Yep. still on. Seinfeld. It's Seinfeld. It's Friends. Two and a Half Men, yep. Chuck Lorre. Yep. You know, it's all that stuff. So um, this market changed a lot. Um, so that's gone. Um, and the fact is streaming, and this is a part of what made all these strikes. So that's too. I, I am not a business major, so I, smarter people might be able to answer this one for you. But my perception 
is that streaming and the model of it is, you know, it's subscriber based. It's trying to get people to subscribe. Everyone freaked out because Netflix did it with wild success. And typical of showbiz, everyone jumped in the same boat before they fully understood if it made them money. And, you know, in terms of a show, you know, look, the model for Netflix is you get two or three seasons of a tiny order and you're done. Um, hopefully you get some critical acclaim. Hopefully you make something that you love. Yeah, but there's no, yeah, but there's the, the back end, the sort of golden punch your ticket for life. Um, that's left the building, you know. Um, now what you're trying to do is find the places that let you do things that you want to do and you're compensated well for. And I'm sure there are home run models out there. Um, but really right now, I don't think they've figured out how to turn streaming into anything that is clear and linear as the way a, a, a half hour sitcom that's syndicated, nothing costs less and made more money. And they have not replicated that yet. So they're chasing it. Um, my feeling is that, you know, we're now in a world of a thousand streaming peacocks. They're going to consolidate and, at some point, And farfel, right? you know, we're, we're going to yeah. get back to three, three or four companies. Yep. They're going to consolidate. The same thing. Yep. Yep. It's all, we're, you know, it's, I have made this analogy to my wife yesterday. It's like balls of mercury. And right now, the mercury is a thousand scattershot little tiny balls, and they're all going to glom back Love into that. one big, one big mass again, and yep. they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out, but no one knows right now. So you know, the model of the classic one hundred episode, let's syndicate this thing. I, it's gone, and I don't know where it's all heading. You know, you can tell me if this is crazy, but it almost sounds like, especially for creators, the model now is get your first show. Get it made. If you can find some success, if it can run a little bit, then it's going to be easier to get your next show made. There's going to be yeah. more opportunity. Almost like for the movies, right? When I heard Ivan Reitman talking about this on Stern back in the day. I listen to old Sterns all the time. And sure. Howard was getting Love ready to make it. his first movie. And he, Ivan Reitman was saying to him, if you make, if your movie makes $50 million, your neck your, your opportunities for your next movie are this big. If it makes $100 million, your opportunities are this big. You know, and mm-hmm. and so on. It almost seems like, is that what where where you're at now? If I can get three seasons, I get four seasons. If I can just get my show made, which is the real the real obstacle, right? Just getting it made, getting it out yeah. there. That yeah. and maybe for Chuck Lorre, maybe a good example, right? When he first broke, I think Two and a Half Men maybe was the first one they did. Maybe not one of the earlier ones that made it easier to get whatever next was out with Big Bang Theory or whatever, and easier and, e- and easier like that maybe. I don't know. No, well, that, there is a lot. To, his career is so enormous. He's the goat for the half hour. You know, sure. he goes back to yep. he goes back to he ran Roseanne. He, I mean, okay, if yeah, you look back. him up, yeah. I mean, but 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 the fact is, you're not wrong because Two and a Half Men, and then he followed that with Big Bang Theory, and those were juggernaut shows that got the kind of network ratings that were not seen in the era they ran. Unicorn. They hearkened. Yep. They were unicorns. They were mad. They were just monsters. And with that came some great power. And he used it well, you know, and he's done a million wonderful projects. Um, you know, so right now, you know, the, the model on one level has never changed. And that is, if you can, you try to, you know, do the things that you really want to do. You do try to do those passion projects. You try to do them with people that you really love to work with and respect. And you 
you you pray that they get on the air unmolested to the <laughs> point that they are close to what you hope they would be. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and yes, and and de- and then do well, and it leads to more. I mean, that is the that has always been the eternal mission. Yeah. And if you if if and the the people I know who chased the the idea of you know I'm just going to write something that's so commercial that's going to get a hundred and I'm going to get rid. It never works. Yeah, it just doesn't people see through that. I um, think. Yeah, well, that's just not even even if you're even if you're creating something that is you know with that ambition i don't know good things still have to come from something genuine and then the public decides um and look if you could program a show all the networks would have had you know massive ratings on every show they put on the air it's a very very strange alchemy so you might as well listen to your heart and try to do the work that's calling you. And uh, hopefully, <laughs> you know, it does well enough that they let you get another at bat. That's I yeah. think everybody who does what I do. You're just saying, you know what? I just want to get an. Please let me have some more at bats because I love what I do. Right. Did, I actually had not to go back to Sterningham. I heard an old Louis CK interview. It was right when Louis came out, which was the first kind of sitcom uh, the way that they did it, I know that they had, I think they had had. Um, Do you Arles. mean the old the one on HBO? The one on HBO it was one of the first yeah, ones yeah, HBO yeah. did. I like remember that. that show well. Yeah, yeah, and Louis was talking about how the reason he had had opportunities with more traditional networks, the reason he loved HBO, because they were going to let him do what he wanted. That they were yeah. they they weren't getting notes back. That him and Jim Norton had a scene where they were talking about religion and using the c word every other time and they thought that that was going to come back and it was going to be full of these and they just didn't get any notes and they were like i can't believe we're getting away with this and that's why he loved that opportunity at max and it kind of seems like a little bit like what you're just well not hbo obviously um it kind of seems no, but like you know what you're that, describing that is, now I'm you know? not, I, that 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 is all you that that is heaven you yeah. know and look yeah. if it doesn't work all you can do is say well i guess that one's on me and i hope i can learn from it you know yeah um now, that original Louis show fascinated me because it was um, in the little a show apartment. that I, yeah. yeah yeah and I I watched it I watched it avidly and I watched them you know initially resist certain things that you you try to reinvent the wheel and like you watch the first one this is so long ago but as I recall the first one everything was shot in a big huge master. Sort of like the honeymooners when you watch those in that living yep. room. Mm-hmm. It's like you're never and you're never jumping in on the joke for a single, which is kind of a de rigueur sitcom thing. Like if you don't punch in on somebody's single for the joke, it 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 sort of goes up into the rafters and evaporates. And I remember saying, "Oh, look at they're trying that, and it's not working." But they figured it out, and within two episodes, they were doing some things that you go, "Oh no, you still got a single Louie. He's funny. Right. Let me see his face, and let me get the joke." But I have to say, I I watched that show the whole season that it lived, and I watched it get weirder and more wonderful and more <laughs> wonderful. And there are scenes in that one that I never forgot because I was, I, I love, they took full advantage of the freedom and I, I loved it for that. I think I said, Louis it's called lucky Louie, just to be clear. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, not yeah. the one that, not the, uh, right. That was the FX show, show was FX. called Louie. Yeah. That was called. And Louis. that's obviously yeah. very celebrated. Right. And, you know, it was br- brilliant and fascinating, but this is the one that no one talks about. And I was right there with you. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. 
I got to let Nick Bakai go because he's got other things to do in Los Angeles and talk to me all day. Uh, Nick, it's so great to have you back. The show, let me go through it again. It's called Bookies. Um, it's on Bookie, just Bookie. Bookie. Excuse me, Bookie. Yeah, it's on. So it's on Max. Um, and if you like, if you have an HBO subscription, you hopefully people know this. You can sign into Max with that. You know, through Directv. Yeah, or whatever. It, it, it's all the same. You have, it's, it's all, all the same, thing. right? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. You. I guess you understand. People get as confused well as about that. I think sometimes. Yeah. So I don't mention that it debuts on the thirtieth of November. Um, yeah. And. Um, it's it. I got to see one episode. I loved it. It's great. There's some surprise cameos in there, which I know are still an embargo, so we won't mention <laughs> them because uh, I got that yeah. email. But those are fun great. and cool, and uh, it's awesome. I don't know if there's anything else you want to mention plug wise. If you have any questions oh, for me, anything the, else you want to say? That's the one. Okay. No, you know what? It's it's. I'm glad we got a chance to talk that's after fun. all these years. I'm very happy for your success. Thank go you, Buffalo. Go Bills. Go Sabers. And yeah, man, watch Bookie on the. Uh, on November 30th, you'll be in for a really fun ride. I guarantee it. Especially the Buffalo people. We got to we gotta have each other's backs, right? You know what I mean? We got to. Yeah. We got to. I'm telling you. This will be like watching Hockey Hotline on Ass oh, with Mike nice. Roby <laughs> and Brian Blessing. How about that? What a reference. <laughs> Love it. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> Beautiful. Thanks, Steve. thank Nick Bakai and I want to thank Andrew Siciliano for being on the pod today. Don't forget you can hear this interview, those interviews and all interviews in every episode in the history of the sportscasters on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. You can all find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Email me the sportscasters at gmail.com Instagram at sportscasters leave a review if you like the 24-inch podcast has a new episode, went up the other day. Uh, it's Hulk Hogan against the Big Boss Man, 1989, Madison Square Garden. Paula and Dave and I do that show. You can find those episodes on the Sportscasters feed, on SoundCloud, or wherever you get podcasts. At 24-inch podcast on Twitter. At 24-inch underscore podcast on Instagram. 24-inch podcast at gmail.com is the email uh, for that one. Uh, so those are the plugs. All right, one last thing for me today. It's been a great show. Um, I'm finishing up here early morning on the 22nd, the day before Thanksgiving. Um, and Thanksgiving means being thankful. So one last thing for me, what am I thankful for this year? When it becomes my turn at the table, although we don't really do this, but if we did, this tradition, which I've seen on TV and things like that, where the... Each family member gets to take a turn. So when it becomes my turn, what shall I say this year? Well, first of all, I'm thankful for the sportscasters. I love doing this show. It's gone on for a long time. We started in 2011. Don and I started this show. Don's been gone for years now, but I've kept the legacy going. Um, got the article in Sports Illustrated, which will probably be the peak of the show, to be honest. Um, but I still love doing it. I've had some times this year. 
where I wasn't sure if I wanted to keep doing it. Um, but there's some great things ahead. The show's not done. I'm not done. And um, I'm thankful that I was able to create the show and build it up to where it's at now and um, have a day where I interview Nick Bakai and Andrew Siciliano. I still get, I still love it. So I'm thankful for the show. I'm thankful for everyone who's ever listened to even an episode of the show. And I'm even more thankful for any everyone who's listened and, and interacted with me, uh, whether it be by email or on Twitter or wherever else. If you've done that, you know that I take that seriously. And I give you every piece of my heart um, when you reach out to me because you're not just a listener then. You're a listener who was willing to take the time to say you liked what I did or maybe you didn't like something or you wanted a book or whatever. Um, But I go all in on those interactions and I've made friends over the years uh, with people. I've taken Ford Kendrick uh, to dinner on my honeymoon because he was a listener and was in Vegas and I was in Vegas. So I'm thankful for that. Thankful for the guests that have come on, of course, even though sometimes they're a pain in the neck to book. Of course, I'm thankful for them. Um, I'm thankful for the sports teams I love, I guess. The Saints, um, Italy, the Sabres, the Braves, the Sooners. Thankful thankful for them, I guess. <laughs> thankful for Drew Brees. I'll always be thankful for Drew and the impact that he had on my sports life. And hopefully one day we'll be interviewing him on the Sportscasters as well. Uh, that's a dream I'll keep alive and, and keep pursuing until there isn't a show anymore. Um, and I'm thankful for living in Buffalo, being born here. Um, I love Buffalo. I love being in Buffalo. Um, I love the house we built in North Tonawanda. I love my neighborhood. I love that North Tonawanda is a part of the state that isn't politically what people think of when they think of New York State. Um, I love being here. We built this house in 2010, got married here, had a daughter here. Thankful for my house. Thankful for my pup, my dog, my boy Colston, uh, who I love. I don't love dogs, but I love my dog, and he's a good boy. Getting up there, he's 12 years old, but he's still a youthful, loving dog and brother and everything he means to this family, so I'm thankful for him, of course. You know, I'm thankful for friends I've had over the years. I saw this Kyle Brandt rant that he did. And he said, you know, he's retired from friends. He doesn't want to make any more friends. And he doesn't want to see friends. And he doesn't want to be with friends. And couldn't be any more further from the truth for me. Um, I think my friends are more retired from me than I am from them. But I'm thankful for the good ones I have. I just went to dinner with my friend Don and my friend Greg and my friend Steve who We've all been friends since we were born. Our parents are friends, and we've known each other literally as long as we've been alive. And that's a special relationship that I can only have with those guys. You know, it's only true with them. So, um, But I'm still hoping to meet more friends. I met a good friend now uh, at my meat market called Corey. I'm thankful for that. You know, you meet, new, you meet people and new friends all the time, and I'm surprised Kyle's such a curmudgeon about that, but. If you meet me in the streets, I'm I'm still open to meeting new friends over the years. And I've had some good ones too, you know, my friend Mike and my friend Justin and you know, friends that the relationships change over the years. 
There's times where we're super close, times where we're super distant. But anytime we get to see each other, um, it's nice to be together. My friend Matt in Pittsburgh, we've had an unbelievable uh, almost 24-year run now, meeting at a Pearl Jam concert in August of 2000. And now our daughters are friends. You know, our daughters will be what Don and I are. You know, friends, they've known each other their whole lives. Um, and I'm thankful for that. Um, and I'm thankful for um, my mom and my dad. You know, I'm so lucky to be uh, 43 years old and still have a mom and a dad. So many people um, don't have that. And I'm, I'm grateful for both of them. They're great parents. And I'm thankful for my grandmother that I still have left. Uh, one left. And, you know, honestly, probably not for long. Um, but I'm going to go there for Thanksgiving uh, like I have for basically every Thanksgiving all 43 years, damn near near all of them. And she's just a rock of consistency. She's always the same. And uh, she's so warm and loving. My grandma Marie, Paula's middle name, my last grandparent, I'm thankful. I got 43 years with her. What a blessing. You know, my other grandmother died when I was 15. You know, so to have one for 43 years, man, amazing. So thankful for that. You know, and I'm thankful for my brothers, my brother Greg starting a new career. Proud of him. Good dad. Good dude. Proud of my, you know, thankful for my brothers. Thankful for my uncle, my Uncle Paul, uh, my aunts, you know, family. Thankful. I got a family. But I think most of all, um, and, and I learn this more and more as I get older, I'm most thankful for the family I live with. You know, as you get older, that that's really as your other family members maybe pass away, like you lose your parents, whatever. That's what's the cliche. Home is where the heart is, right? And I've got a great wife um, who supported me on this sportscaster's journey and who luckily takes it very seriously, the vow of through sickness and health, and has been with me through the sick times. And um, we've been together this 2023 will be, or 2024 will be 25 years. You know, probably the most successful relationship in my life. Uh, so, you know, I couldn't be more thankful for that. It's the biggest decision you make, really, your whole entire life is who's going to be your partner, who you're going to take this journey through, who you're going to raise your kids with. And... Um, it's an important one that we you know, people get wrong all the time. And uh, I was lucky. So, of course, that. And, and above all else, and, and she would say the same, I'm thankful for my daughter. Paula, the best thing I will ever do was creating you and watching you grow. She's in the second damn grade already. And she's such a good girl. She loves to do podcasting with me and watch 80s movies and old wrestling. We've been watching 1987 stuff recently. So I got this DVD. And I'm losing my voice a little bit here at the end. <laughs> but, um, you know, what can you say? To have a child is, is the greatest blessing of my life. And for her to be my little Paula who I named after my grandmother, a dream I had 
since she died when I was 15. And to watch her grow, it's the greatest, greatest blessing. Uh, but again, I'm thankful for you listening. Uh, cheers. Have a great weekend with your families. And we'll be back in a week or so. A couple more left in us this season. Uh, but happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>